I clicked go live. Oh, I'm live. Oh, I thought it was going to do the, um, the entrance. Okay. Well, hi everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope you can see that we are now in our new office. Uh, nothing on the walls yet other than my amazing sign, better than terrific. That was um, my dad's saying. Um, anytime I would call him and say, hey, how you doing, dad? He was better than terrific. And so for my birthday this year, the, my kids pitched in and they all bought me this beautiful neon sign to remind me that we are all better than terrific, right? So uh, I'm so glad to be with you today. A lot have happened since the last time that we were together, guys. Um, the final rule came out for the Medicare physician's fee schedule. And, you know, I'm a fan of knowledge. So uh, immediately I jumped on that. I read the 2,400 pages. Some of it I skimmed through because I don't work primarily in those areas like cardiology. So all of you cardiology coders out there, make sure that you take some time to really dive into that final rule there and see what's going on. Um, a couple of really interesting things that happened during the final rule is telehealth. You know, I have such a passion for telehealth, right guys? Uh, I, I always claim that I was into telehealth before telehealth was cool, right? I've been a part of the Southeastern Telehealth work group for a few, quite a few years now. And uh, last year, I had the pleasure of helping many providers implement their telehealth policies for compliance and um, you know, utilizing that wonderful feature that we have temporarily in place. So the final rule was to kind of tell us in what direction that we're going with some of these services that were added. So, you know, they added, uh, they added providers, first of all. So for, for during the public health emergency, our physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, speech language pathologists, they were able to do some of those therapy modalities via telehealth. Well, unfortunately, those are not staying after the public health emergency. So I know we're extended through January. And, um, you know, I always tell you guys that I have a crystal ball. Well, I really do have a crystal ball. And my crystal ball tells me that uh, the public health emergency will probably be extended once again after that. So for as long as the public health emergency is in place, we have these category two CPT codes. Now, for those of you that don't know, category one are those services that are more than reasonable to be done via telehealth. So we know that a lot of our office visits can be done via telehealth with our patients and things like that. So the category one codes are permanent codes. The category two codes are temporary codes that are set to expire. So physical therapy via telehealth, um, occupational therapy via telehealth, some of those neurostimulators uh, via telehealth, those things are going to go away according to the final rule. There are some category three codes or services that are staying until the end of 2023. So uh, if you take a look at the list of telehealth services, so let me get that up on the screen there, the list of telehealth services. So if you go to the, the, this link here and you open up the zip file, it'll give you an Excel spreadsheet and that will tell you which one of the services 
are going to expire at the end of the public health emergency, those category two codes or services. And then it'll also give you the list of the services that are going to stay on those category three codes that are going to stay on through the the end of calendar year 2023 there. So uh, another thing that CMS implemented was uh, last year before last, maybe I think it was 2019, we got the virtual check-in code. And it was for just about five to 10 minutes of a a check-in with a patient to see if that patient needed to come into the office or maybe we needed to call something in. It was, you know, really that that determination um, service there, whether the patient needs to come in or we can handle this over the phone. Maybe they need a refill of a medication that last year they had allergies. Now they have allergies again. Should I take this medicine or I, you know, I'm having an upper respiratory. Should I come in? Whatever that was. And um, that was, that can be done either via telephone, telehealth, it could, or, you know, the audio video dual way communication like we're doing right now. And it could also be done uh, through electronic devices. So whether it was texting through the portal or, um, you know, using email through the portal or direct email that was encrypted between the provider and the patient there. So any of that interactive communication that's happening, that of course is not uh, due to an, an E&M visit within the last seven days, or that doesn't result in a visit within the next 24 hours, or as soon as possible, right? You need to add that in there too, because I know our schedules are always so full. Um, those, those patients were not eligible for this, but you know, outside of that, just calling and saying, Hey, I don't feel good. Should I take that allergy medicine? Should I take this cough medicine? Should I, you know, trying to look for some guidance, uh, from the provider and that guidance is documented, right? Then we have those virtual check-in codes. So CMS was thinking, what happens when we remove the telephone visits for seniors in the public health emergency, because that's one of those codes that's a category two code. It will go away. Telephone visits are not here to stay, my friend. So what do we do under those circumstances? And so CMS uh, developed a new code expanding that virtual health, uh, that virtual check-in to uh, 11 to 21 minutes there. So we have a second code that's been added. It's a HICS-PIX code uh, that can be reported. And that extends that time that's going back and forth with the patient, either telephone or telehealth, two-way audio video, or another uh, communication device. So uh, I think that CMS realizes that we had a lot of great services that were able to be done via telehealth but uh, they're not really willing to open the floodgates at this time. So I understand that completely. Um, As far as telehealth is concerned, the the final rule implemented a a payment update for originating sites. So now looking into the future, when we go back to telehealth services, returning to their, their normal expectation of the originating site and the distance site, um, they are increasing the reimbursement for that originating site, the use of the facility there. And there have plans to increase that as the years go by. So if you look at the final rule there, you'll see that the they're going to increase it 2.1% for 2022. And then that will increase as time goes on. That's the expectation. So 
that was also a big bonus considering that we will go back to the original uh, expectations of telehealth. They're not going to embrace some of these waived modifications that were made. Um, there is an addition for telehealth for mental health services, though, that was really awesome. So to kind of stay with the Consolidated Appropriations Act, um, CMS is authorizing for mental health disorders. They're allowing the patient's home to become an originating site. Again, only for the treatment of mental health disorders, those, those types of telehealth visits they will allow the originating site to be the patient's home or a temporary home, like a hotel or a shelter or whatever that might be. Because I think, you know, we realized that from, from a mental health perspective, telehealth was, in my opinion, of course, amazing, so beneficial for patients. So we get to, to keep the originating site as home for those mental health services that are approved to be done via telehealth. So that was a big, awesome jump for us. Uh, any PAs out there, anybody that work for PAs, you know, hey, shout out to my physician assistants there. Uh, uh, starting January 1st, 2021, CMS is expanding the payment directly to the physician assistants. So uh, nurse practitioners have always had the opportunity to be autonomous uh, in certain states and to have those payments sent directly to them. So they enroll in Medicare and they're able to receive reimbursements directly under their NPI and to their personal self. And PAs weren't, which wasn't exactly fair. They had to work in a group and the group would receive the reimbursement for the PA services. So although PAs do have their own NPI, they are credentialed with Medicare, they're eligible to uh, have their services reimbursed, but the reimbursement went to a group. So as of January 1st, no more. PAs can receive their payments directly, just like the nurse practitioners do. Um, even our PTs and OTs, they get payments directly to them. So it, it's uh, this is going to be a great, great uh, upgrade there. Um, teaching physician services, the fee schedule made it very clear that when we are selecting our services based on time or reporting any of those timed services, that the total time that was spent teaching physicians is, or the resident's time that was spent with the, the patient, that should not be included in total time. So that was good, especially since, again, looking at my crystal ball, we are about to go to uh, changes in evaluation and management for other settings where teaching physicians would be more utilized. Another big change is to the split or share visits. So um, that's a Medicare benefit that's out there. And last year or this year, actually, I keep getting 2020 just totally messed me up. I don't know if it did that to you too, guys, but 2020 messed me up. So uh, earlier this year, it was brought to my attention. I think it was even, I'm going to give a shout out to David Glazer. I'm such a fan of his and I uh, was listening to one of his webinars earlier this year. And he had realized that CMS had removed the guidelines for split and shared visits in a facility from the Medicare policy manuals. So psh, it was gone. And there was a little filler that said, we're 
we're, we removed this for updating for a future publication. And sure enough, that happened during the final rule. And what was nice is that the, the split insured visits now have a, a very clear definition and expectation for us. So they stated that the, a substantive part of the visit to that patient, regardless whether there's, you know, two, how much of the medical record the two of them actually wrote or, you know, any of those other previous split and shared visit guidelines. I don't have them right in front of me, so I can't tell you what they were, but I can tell you what they are. So uh, the, the definition has now been outlined. It is that the practitioner who provides the substantive part of the visit and who authenticates the record. So there'll be one encounter for each one of those split and shared visits. And the provider that does the majority of the work, the substantive amount, 50% or greater, right? That's going to be the provider that authenticates it. That's going to be the provider that reports those services. So if the NP or PA reported the majority of the services for that day, then that's who's going to authenticate the record and that's who it's going to be reported under. If the physician does the majority of the documentation and the services that day, then it'll be reported under the, the, um, the physician's NPI for that full 100% reimbursement. So there's a lot of new information. And, and again, we're just here for a few minutes with each other. So I'm just paraphrasing things. And I highly recommend that you go out to the final rule and take a look at it. There is a new LMN matters. So it is LMLN. Ooh, that's a tongue twister, right, guys? MM12512. Uh, that was just published on the 16th, and it breaks down. Uh, it breaks down the final rule for for the max there and what we should be expecting. And so that's a good thing to take a look at. Um, there is going to be a modifier that's going to be required for split and shared services. So you want to make sure that you're looking for that modifier if you're going to be reporting or utilizing this Medicare benefit, right? Um, another thing with critical care services. So the CPT changed some of the language regarding the bundled services in their in the new 2022 CPT book. Basically, what they changed was we have a new code and a new expectation for monitoring cardiac output. Um, and they've added that uh, venous access is also going to be included in those critical cares for provider services. Now, facilities can report those services individually, but the providers, any of the services that are that are listed or defined under critical care services, those, um, those are going to be bundled in and they've re um, renamed that. So uh, if you were listening to me last night in the Palm Beach chapter, I went over all of those changes that happened in 2022 CPT. But if not, you know, check out your book. There's a lot of great updates that are in your CPT book, as well as the, the updated information for critical care services. So um, let's see. There was a couple of changes also to therapy services. And we knew that this was coming. It's not a secret. Uh, it was actually mentioned in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018 that uh, we wanted to make the same kind of reduction for uh, physical therapy assistance and occupational assistance 
um, those same type of reduction that we do for our nurse practitioners and physician assistants there. So we kind of knew that was coming. There are two new modifiers, uh, CQ and CO, and those modifiers are to report when any part of the service, so in whole or in part of the service is provided by the PTA or the OTA, uh, we're going to report these modifiers and there will be a reduction in the reimbursement for those um, those uh, PT and OT services. So, and again, I'm just giving you the cliff note version here. So I hope that all of you do go out and take a look at those services and the changes that were made. So a lot of great things uh, that have been identified there. They reiterate the 15 minute midpoint of eight minutes or more. There's a lot of great things that were just, uh, if you haven't read some of the guides recently, this is a wonderful opportunity to read it. Whether you're reading the L, the MLN matter, or whether you're looking at the actual final rule, um, lots of good information coming to us. So uh, another thing that I wanted to chat about is the payment for medical nutrition therapy services. So I'm a huge, huge advocate for that as well. Uh, I think that uh, nutrition does play a lot into healthcare. You know, obesity is one of the top chronic conditions that we have here in America. And um, I think that a lot has to do with what we're putting inside of us. I, have you ever gone to the store and you realize that a salad costs about twice as much as a value meal at the drive-thru, right? So that that's not necessarily fair, I think. But um, yeah, and then we have all these preservatives that are in our foods that uh, really exacerbate some of those chronic conditions. And I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't advise you one way or another. But, you know, just chatting, of course, of what I see out there. And um so uh, registered dietitians and nutrition providers, they've been able to bill for the medical nutritional therapy since about 2002. And um, so we are expanding those services out. Um, they are expanding services that can, these services can also be reported by those non-physician practitioners there. And the payment for the medical nutritional therapy services they have been paid at 100% um, instead of at the, or they've been paid at 85% and with no share cost to the patient. And those things are changing too. So uh, a lot of changes that are coming through. My, my most favorite are the changes that we're seeing in telehealth. Because again, I heard wonderful stories. I consult for a dermatology group and one of the physician assistants in the dermatology group shared with me that she'd had a patient that had been coming in for months and months with a, a dermatitis that they just were combating and they, they couldn't really get a grip on. They've tried all kinds of different treatments for it. And last year, at the end of the year, during a telehealth visit, that uh, PA was able to look, or was it a PA or NPM? I'm not exactly sure. But they were able to look out the window that was behind the patient in telehealth and see that at her home, she had a, a, a type of bush that it turns out she was highly allergic to. 
And the reason that she wasn't able to shake the symptoms of this dermatitis was because of that uh, bush that she had in her yard. So uh, Eureka, we found out what was wrong with the patient. So telehealth, that was just one example, but telehealth has really been able to expand patient care. Um, Last year when my husband had his knee replaced, I wondered why some of the follow-up visits couldn't be done via telehealth, especially because he was healing nicely, no no complications, things like that, rather than, um, you know, get him and the walker and get in the car and drive to the office and go up the, the elevator to the fourth floor and have him see the doctor for five minutes who said, yeah, that looks good, and then repeat the process on the way home. So sometimes I think... Uh, Of course, I'm not a clinician. I don't even know if that's really good medicine, but it made sense that maybe it would or things like that. So I'm very, very interested to hear what questions that you have for me today uh, about the final rule, any changes that we've seen or things that we can expect or um, where you can find some more information. So let me open the chat here. And uh, Angel needs a crystal ball. I agree with you. Everyone should have a crystal ball. Uh, I I can't take credit for that. Uh, My dad was one of those who answered every why with because I saw it in my crystal ball. Okay. So when my father uh, passed on, I acquired the crystal ball. And now I know. Anybody want the lotto numbers? Yeah, I don't have those. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Um, great, great, great. Uh, Kimberly is on here and Kimberly, you know, I was talking last night to, again, the Palm Beach chapter, we were going over the changes for 2022 and so many changes to CPT in cardiology. Uh, there are, again, when you look at the final rule, they do go over those new services that have been offered for cardiology and how CMS expects them to be used in addition to the, the, um, in addition to the, oh, I lost my words again. This happens to me all the time. Watch somebody say, oh, Christine, you have a neurological. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so the changes that are there, they're also in the final rule because, you know, if we have any new codes that come out, someone has to tell us how we're supposed to be using those codes. So uh, there's a big correlation there. And I'm hoping, Kimberly, that you're going to be doing some sort of a cardiology explanation of the, the 2022 changes not to put you on the spot or throw you out there, but uh, I'd love to see that. That was way too much for me to, to process, being not that cardiology is just not my strong point. I have a lot of strong points, but that one is uh, definitely challenging there. So any other questions that you guys have about the final rule or where to find more information on the final rule? Or was there a particular area that you were hoping that I would uh, extrapolate on, go ahead and just throw it into the chat box there. Anything at all. I I see Laurel is here. Laurel, thank you so much. I had such a great time last night. Um, I had never done so much speed talking before. I think, uh, trying to get all of those changes in within a short period of time. And for me, who is the self-proclaimed talker in the bunch, that was pretty good. We stayed pretty good on task there. And uh, I see Craig is out there as well. Hi, Craig. 
Uh, thank you so much for joining. It's always such an honor to have you on and listening. I appreciate that so much. So let's see what else do we have that we can chat about this morning regarding that final rule. I know I kind of went over things quickly and, and I did that because I didn't want this to be a, a webinar. So I didn't want to bring out some slides for you. And I just wanted to have a talk, you know, how can I be of service to you? How can I help you in uh, understanding these changes that are happening for 2022? So uh, we talked a few weeks ago about the ICD-10 guidelines and how there were so few changes. There were less than 200 changes to ICD-10. Um, there were a little, there were 405 changes to CPT this year, but 93 of those were just grammatical types of changes. Um, oh, so Laurel wants to know what CPT is being used when billed for telehealth for nutrition. So I'm pretty sure that the medical nutrition therapy codes that we usually use, those medicine codes, those 90,000 codes, that's the same code that we're using. But I want you to check the, the telehealth list that list that's out there for telehealth. I think we're gonna scroll that around the bottom there and just see uh, for how long we'll be able to use those medical nutrition therapy codes, right? So if we open up that spreadsheet, it'll tell you whether that's one of those codes that they're considering keeping on for 2022, through 2023, I mean, or whether it's going away at the end of the public health emergency there. So yeah. Um, I'd love to see more providers using referrals to medical nutritional therapy, maybe during the annual wellness visit for those patients that are morbidly obese, or maybe not even morbidly. Like I, I would love to have a medical nutritional therapy to help me with some of this, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks Laurel. I appreciate that. So, um, if we have no more questions, I want to remind you of a couple of things. I have a lot of speaking engagements, so I encourage you to go to the website, Sterling Global Solutions. So I think we have a, a, a link that's scrolling across the bottom to remind you of the website, Sterling Global Solutions. We are expanding our blogging, so there's some more blog information there about coding, specific coding issues that are happening. Uh, that's going to be my New Year's resolution is uh, anytime that I answer a difficult question, I'm going to post it in our blog so that other people that might have the same type of question will be there, will be able to take a look at that. So we are on Facebook, Sterling Global Solutions. We are on um, YouTube, again, Sterling with an I. So my friend Carol Patton from Scotland, she is my uh, probably my 23rd cousin removed, who knows, but uh, yes, that's where it comes from. It's a Scottish last name. And um, so Sterling Global Solutions on YouTube. We are also on LinkedIn. We are doing a lot with LinkedIn Live in the future. And um, so I hope that you join us. Please, at any point in time, feel free to email me if you have any questions. I'll be happy to answer them for you. And uh, like I said, check out our blog. That's where we're going to be answering some of those. And the newsletter will be going out probably the week after Thanksgiving. And it will have all of the speaking engagements there. 
If you have a chapter that's looking for someone to speak, please feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to, to schedule that for you. Uh, otherwise, have a wonderful Thursday. Thanks so much for being here with me and chatting about some of those changes for 2022 from the final rule. Lots of changes in telehealth. So it's great to see you all. I'll see you again next week. Take care.